Hi, everybody. Welcome to Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, this week we're coming from the United States, but next week we'll be in Israel. We'll be doing the program live and uh, from Jerusalem. We certainly will, and we're excited to be going back. It's been since March of 2020. Obviously, COVID kept us from going, but we are back there with the tour group, and we plan on being back many more times in the next couple years. Yes, and uh, it will also be during Rosh Hashanah. What a mm. great time to be there. We'll be there during the, the Feast of Trumpets and uh, looking forward to everything that will be taking place, the blowing of the shofar at the Western Wall. Israel as a nation during the holidays or the holy days there. Hoxamaic will be the word that we'll be passing around to everyone, eating apples and honey during the beginning of the uh, Rosh Hashanah days and the time of celebrating the new year. Well, we're looking forward to being there. Uh, we've got an exciting program today. Uh, I'm so looking forward and I want our folks to stick around. Pastor Andy Woods, uh, contemporary of our father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, uh, prophecy teacher, has written a new book on Babylon. Rick, I want our folks to stick around for this because it is very informative. And then, of course, this is the week of the two-year anniversary of the Abraham Accords. It is, and we're going to talk to Ken Timmerman about that. He'll let us know those were groundbreaking accords, and we will see how they're doing right now. Yes. Well, there's so much to talk about today. Let's get started. And uh, Ken Timmerman is standing by. Ken Timmerman joins us. He's an author and analyst, and he's our expert on geopolitical affairs. He joins us just about every week. Ken, thank you so much for being with us today. Rick, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Well, Ken, last week you reported uh, of Ukraine making surprising gains against Russia. And uh, against that backdrop, it looks like maybe uh, President Putin may be starting to lose some of his allies. Putin is starting to come under uh, criticism in Russia, something that we thought unheard of just a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. Uh, some of you're hearing people on Russian television, commentators talking about uh, the war not going well. And when he met just this past week with uh, Chinese leader Xi Jinping, uh, in, in, at the Shanghai Cooperation Council in Central Asia, uh, it was astonishing to hear Putin himself acknowledge that the Chinese leader had questions and, and concerns about the war in Ukraine. I mean, that is the first time Putin has ever acknowledged any doubts, any questions as to uh, what he is actually doing in Ukraine. So that itself is quite significant. Well, I certainly think that uh, Putin's relationship with Xi is probably one of the strongest allies that he has. So this is uh, very serious for President Putin, isn't it? it? It is serious. It doesn't mean that Xi is backing off from the global support for Russia. They have a strategic relationship. That relationship is strong. Uh, what we're really looking at here is China's tactical uh, maneuvering to not get itself in a position where the United States would impose economic sanctions on China for supporting Russia's war efforts. So she is backing off a bit from supplying actual weapons to Putin right now. There have been reports that he was supplying some artillery shells and munitions to, to Russia in the past. Uh, uh, those seem to be ongoing, but he is not kind of uh, pulling out ahead and becoming Russian's arsenal, which is something that Putin had wanted. And he's doing that simply to avoid U.S. sanctions. But their overall strategic relationship remains sound. 
Well, you mentioned uh, some surprising losses on the battlefield and maybe some political fallout for President Putin. And last week you reported on some very suspicious, if you want to call it that, some suspicious deaths around people who spoke out against Putin. And that continuing, it happened again this week, didn't it? Oh, that's right. So now we have the ninth businessman, uh, ninth uh, uh, oligarch mm. uh, dying under mysterious circumstances. He was the editor in chief of Kamskoloskaya Pravda, the main newspaper in Russia, the Russian state newspaper. Unclear whether Vladimir Sungorkin, who was 68 when he died of a sudden stroke, uh, uh, asphyxiation apparently while he was in a car traveling in eastern Russia with a business partner, um, just all of a sudden collapsed uh, in the car as they were getting ready to go to lunch. He's the ninth oligarch to die under suspicious circumstances. Uh, there was one just two weeks ago who died uh, through an open hospital window. He slipped in a hospital <laughs> room and just went out the window. Another one died in his pool. Uh, another one was uh, eaten up by a panther, I believe it was. Uh, all kinds of very, very strange happenings. But Putin is clearly worried about domestic opposition He's worried about criticism. He knows the war in Ukraine is not going well. And he's trying to uh, make sure he keeps Russia's military industrial state behind him fully. Well, even though the war is somewhat going poorly for Putin, uh, the U.N. is saying that they don't see any chance of a peace deal and are instead focusing on trying to hold off the starvation. Uh, that's right. The U.N. helped to broker a deal to get grain from Ukraine uh, to world markets. Remember, the Russians had blockaded ports. But by the way, so had the Ukrainians, because uh, they didn't want the Russians to come into those ports. Uh, so it is uh, the UN did play a positive role uh, so uh, Ukraine could export food and fertilizer to world markets. And that's what they're looking at now. Look, everybody, Rick, is talking about this war going through the winter into next spring. The war is not over. It's not about to end uh, soon. The Ukrainians are making significant advances on the battlefield, but that can be reversed uh, if Putin throws himself all in in eastern uh, Ukraine. So uh, we've got to be in this for the long haul. Uh, the Germans understand that they are in this for the long haul. Their economy is tanking as we speak, and they are mm. uh, really going to be the first uh, to feel the impact of this uh, uh, long war in Ukraine. Well, then that's a question. You say uh, the Germans are going to feel it. All of Europe could be headed for or some type of setback, some type of reset, or maybe even a recession, couldn't they? Oh, well, they are already in recession, and the German, German economy is going to be hit hard uh, this winter. And, uh, you know, Schultz, the chancellor, has been very slow on the uptake. He's been very slow to take measures to head off what is already an energy crisis. People don't realize in this country that in Germany, they're now paying 10 times what we pay here for natural gas because the uh, Russians have already cut off uh, exports to them. And now what the German government did this week was to seize the uh, Russian oil major Rosneft's assets in Germany. They, they own three refineries. And if the Russians, for example, in December, when they fully cut off all oil exports to Europe, if they shut down those refineries, uh, the entire uh, Germany basically will come to a standstill. People won't be able to drive their cars. They will not have gasoline or diesel fuel. So what they did this week in Germany, the government 
put those Russian assets into, quote, trusteeship, which means they basically seized control of them. They did not nationalize them. They did not change the own ownership structure, but they seized control of them. A, an unprecedented move. I can't remember Germany ever doing something like this uh, since World War II. And they're doing it, Rick, because they're already in a position with the natural gas crisis to be closing steel plants uh, they, because they don't have mm. enough energy. Uh, this is really dramatic. It's the economy stupid, and the Germans are struggling because they did not take steps early on in the crisis. It certainly does seem like tough times ahead for Europe. Well, transition a little bit out of Europe, and let's talk about the Middle East just for a second here. Looks like Iran is moving closer towards becoming uh, permanent allies with China and Russia, and this is a very important partnership, isn't it? Uh, well, it is. And, and what we're seeing, again, this was at that uh, uh, summit this week in Samarkand. Uh, of the Shanghai Cooperation Council. This is a security body that was set up by Russia and China for mainly the former Soviet states of uh, Central Asia. But now they've agreed to allow Iran to join the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. So guess what, Rick? Russia, China, Iran in an economic and a strategic relationship. This is the mm. Ezekiel 38 <laughs> uh, 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 cooperation here. Mm -hmm. This is the Ezekiel 38 alliance, mm. and we're seeing it take place right before our eyes this week. Certainly is. We've talked about it before. We'll continue to monitor it. Well, my final question, another subject that we've talked about, President Trump's Abraham Accords. This is the second anniversary of those accords, groundbreaking at the time. Uh, I'd just like to get your thoughts as we mark two years of the Abraham Accords. You know, what I find extraordinary about this, Rick, is how little attention the Abraham Accords got mm. at the time in mm -hmm. September of 2024. Remember, just before the uh, election, the presidential election, mm -hmm. this should have been monumental. It should have been extraordinary. Uh, President Trump not only brought in one country, not two countries, he brought four countries into a complete uh, a peace deal with Israel. Mm. Uh, before then, all you had was Egypt and Jordan. So this is absolutely amazing and uh, got very, very little publicity, very little support. When Biden came in, he sent he essentially poo pooed the whole idea of the Abraham Accord, didn't want to hear about it. But here's what's interesting. Now that Israel has full economic and diplomatic ties with these countries, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, Sudan, guess what? Biden can't stop it. <laughs> Trump got it going. The United States got it going. We served as the catalyst. We were the, the honest broker. But now the United States cannot stop it. So what you see is, uh, for example, U.S. Ambassador to Israel, Thomas Nides, he is trying to jump on board and say, yeah, this is a great thing. We're going to celebrate it. Let's go on forward. But you don't see that kind of enthusiasm back in the State Department. They're still trying to figure out how they can sabotage a success of President Trump. And guess what? They're not going to be able to do it. <laughs> Very interesting. Well, Ken, thank you so much for joining us today. For those that are interested in learning more about Ken, he's got his new book out. And he keeps us updated on his website at kentimmerman.com. You go there, you can find out everything you need to know. But, Ken, thank you for being with us on the program today, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Rick. God bless. Great interview, Rick, with Ken Timmerman. And remember that those Abraham Accords, those nations, they're mentioned in Psalm 83, and they come out and they decide after a meeting that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. They're going to turn against Israel. 
We're going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan with our Middle East News Update, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Dot Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Ukrainian forces have broken through Russian lines in a sudden counteroffensive. They've retaken almost the entire northeast Kharkiv region. Forces made advances in the south as well. Steve Martin says Wycliffe Associates Bible translation teams remain active despite the fighting. Wycliffe Associates created the emergency 911 fund to help Bible translators in time of disaster. Please pray for peace in Ukraine. And across Haiti, protests have erupted demanding the removal of its current prime minister. Haitians grow desperate as gang violence ravages the country. Travel remains difficult due to the constant fighting, and prices for food and fuel have sharply increased. Even the heart says for Haiti with love treats injuries in their burn clinic and shares the story of Jesus with their patients. Please pray the gang violence in Haiti would dissolve. And find your place in these stories and more at missionnews.org, a service of One Way Ministries. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. Well, this is the segment of our program that we call the Middle East News Update. And this week, like we have just about every week, we have Dave Dolan, author and journalist with us. Dave, thank you for joining us. Glad to do it, Rick. Well, Dave, we call it the Middle East News Update, but we do spend a lot of time in this segment looking at what's going on in Israel specifically. And right now, it looks like the Palestinians and what we call Judea and Samaria, but the mainstream media might call the occupied territories. It looks like there's an uprising taking place there and maybe even kind of a militarization against Israel. Well, Rick, that's right. And uh, this year has definitely seen a major uptick in both terror attacks from Palestinian groups, attempted terror attacks, like the one that was thwarted uh, just over a week ago uh, in Jaffa, South Tel Aviv, where a man had an AK-47 rifle and two bombs, and he was on his way into Tel Aviv to kill as many people as he could. That's what he told the police. That was thwarted, but others haven't been. We had another attack, which I can talk about in a minute uh, this week. But definitely this year, there's been 83 Palestinians killed so far in uh, what the world calls the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, and 20 Israelis have been killed. The latest attack that I mentioned was very serious. It was very unusual, but it does show 
that in fact the um, conflict is becoming more of a military one because one of the attackers was a member of the Palestinian Authority's official security force. In fact, he's an intelligence officer, was, he's dead now, but he and a a younger man uh, came up to the border fence north of the town of Jenin, and they uh, fell down into the grass, and night goggles spotted all this going on, and they were hiding there. What wasn't known is that they were armed, but they were, and two squads of Israeli elite soldiers, these are from um, a group that it's focused on the Nahal Reconnaissance Battalion, it's focused on uh, doing actions along the border fence, and more recently, in the last few months after we had a spate of terror attacks in the spring, you'll remember, from March through May, we had uh, 20 people killed, uh, most of them Israelis, uh, two Ukrainian workers by terrorists inside of Israel. So since then, these uh, units have stepped up their um, actions in Palestinian towns where these groups are sending people, where groups are sending people, terrorists, out to try to um, kill Israelis. And there's a gap in the border fence up there that they're repairing at the moment. And that's how this uh, guy got out last week and went to Tel Aviv, etc. So uh, two squads went around behind these uh, two guys lying in the dirt, basically, and uh, they did it quietly, but they were detected and uh, they were shot at by the two terrorists and they were uh, and they killed uh, the deputy commander of that uh, reconnaissance battalion, Major Bar Fala, mm-hmm. who had served many years and was well known in uh, Israeli military circles and some political circles as well. Uh, he was shot dead and uh, another soldier was lightly wounded, but they got got, got the guys and then they later the uh, battalion later raided the town that they came from the town of Dan, just north of uh, the area where this incident took place. And again, the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade, which is the military wing, as they call it, of Fatah, the ruling PA party, of which Prime Minister Abbas is a part of, they took, quote, credit for this. Uh, They issued a statement saying the two men were ordered to attack an Israeli army base near to where this incident took place, and they were going to go in there with their weapons and kill as many soldiers as they could. That's what they hoped to do. But the fact is that the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade hasn't taken official uh, credit or responsibility for any terror attack in recent years, Rick. They were very active during the second uprising. Um, Basically, the late Yasser Arafat let them loose and said, turn your weapons that were American-supplied weapons as a result of the Oslo Accords, turn them on Israeli soldiers and civilians, and that's what happened. But so far, uh, until recently, that group has not taken any responsibility. It's been, as we've talked about many times, Islamic Jihad and Hamas, the more radical groups that have been carrying out attacks. So this is a definite turn to the worst in the situation. Prime Minister Lapid condemned it widely and said that the PA needs to get control of its forces, that if they don't, these raids will continue and escalate. So basically, we don't have a full uprising going on again, Rick, but we have a a war escalating uh, with weapons more and more involved on the Palestinian side and Israel stepping up its actions to prevent these groups from carrying out terror attacks. And of course, they'll continue to do that. Well, it is certainly concerning that this Al-Aska Martyrs Brigade is 
essentially aligned with the Palestinian President Abbas, and that is something new, isn't it? It is, and uh, and he uh, very markedly he has not denounced this hmm. uh, attack or this claim that they were going to carry out an attack. And the Israelis, uh, of course, that's a violation of the Oslo Accords also. Um, but it's thought, Rick, that uh, maybe uh, Abbas is just too weak now to uh, command any control over his forces, his security forces, or even his people. All the opinion polls, as we've talked about before, show that if he would hold elections, he would lose those elections badly to any Hamas candidate that is put up. So the security forces are apparently acting more and more boldly, and the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade, whether it has a wink and a nod from Abbas, or whether they did this on their own without his knowledge, uh, it is an indication, yes, that the security situation is deteriorating. And as the Israeli prime minister also said, we will step up our actions then in Palestinian towns and cities if we have to, to prevent these groups from growing and from, you know, carrying out attacks if the PA won't do it. And of course, they are supposed to have full security control in Nablus, in Jenin, in uh, in Hebron, these Arab towns, Jericho. Uh, but it seems to be slipping away, and uh, the Palestinian groups know it. And of course, will this will inspire Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and Islamic Jihad's backer Iran to poke and provoke Israel more and more. And so they're expecting more, sadly, more attempted attacks, attacks, and uh, deaths uh, to come in the in the remaining months of this year and beyond that. Well, one of the things that we know, David, that has been used as a pretext to motivate these groups is more Jewish presence on the Temple Mount. We know we've talked about that a little bit on this program. Jews not changing the status quo per se, but they are going up onto the Temple Mount. They're just visiting. There's an increased uh, awareness of the presence of the Temple Mount, and and they're not necessarily even doing anything, not praying up there, but just more Jews visiting the Temple Mount, which is essentially stoking the fire here, or at least that's being used as a reason for these actions, isn't it? Well, that's exactly the case. And by the way, the guy that was arrested uh, near Tel Aviv had been arrested last May carrying a knife right down from the Temple Mount, right next to it. And uh, he was jailed short, um, for a short period after that. But yeah, the uh, we had a conference this week every year. It takes place in September. It's, uh, it's in Herzliya, the uh, intelligence conference, it's called, and uh, several speakers made some comments on the point you made. But we we heard from the National Security Council head Ayal Hulata, that is basically the chief uh, security advisor to the prime minister. And I have a quote here. He said the Hamas group and others like them are trying to quote turn Jerusalem into an explosive detonator for war. So, you know, he pointed that out, that they are clearly trying to provoke a much wider conflict in the region. And that's Mm. what they did last year when they started uh, the war that took place then. And of course, this year, it was again the arrest of uh, Islamic Jihad leader up in the northern West Bank that provoked the three-day action in Gaza. So we see that it's been partially successful so far, but it's a very, very serious development. And... um, Again, Jerusalem is a holy city to three different faiths, <laughs> and there's often been conflict over the years, and the most uh, explosive part of Jerusalem is the Temple Mount. 
And of course, the Palestinians claim the Islamic world, I should say, claims that as an Islamic holy site exclusively, and Jews are just barely tolerated uh, up there, and uh, the numbers are very limited, as you said, and the police are always around and this sort of thing. So, uh, you know, Israel is not uh, going to start building the temple tomorrow. Some Israelis hope they would, but that isn't uh, on the cards, it doesn't seem. And, uh, you know, they're just using these, uh, using Jerusalem as an excuse for more trouble. And of course, Iran backs them up in that and other Hezbollah and other parties to the conflict in the area. Well, David, the Temple Mount certainly has been a flashpoint, and we talk about that often on this radio program, but this is just consistent with what's going to happen in the last days. In fact, Zechariah 12, 2 says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples. So we know that this controversy is going to continue in these days. Well, we have to take a break right now, David, but I would still like to talk to you a little bit about Iran's roles. We've talked about Iran's proxies. I'd like to talk about Iran. Could you hang on through the break, David? Glad to do it, Rick. Well, stay tuned for the rest of this conversation, as well as an interview with Dr. Andy Woods on the city of Babylon, right here on Prophecy Today Radio. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. Well, we're back in this second half hour, and we're going to finish a conversation we were having with David Dolan, our Middle East news expert. And David, well, we talked a little bit earlier about Iranian proxies and the trouble that they're causing inside of Israel. I'd like for you, if you could, David, to address the issue of the Iranian proxies and Iran backing them, especially in the backdrop of the fact that we are negotiating a nuclear deal. And although the talks may have stalled a little bit, it still seems like uh, the Biden administration, the United States, they're pushing very hard for these talks. What's Israel's feeling on this situation and their relationship with Iran right now? Well, Rick, we have a real clear picture of what they're thinking and doing because uh, two of the speakers at the Herzliya Security Conference this week focused on that very topic. And the most important speech was given by the Mossad chief, David Barnea. Now, you might remember, we never knew the name of the Mossad chief. I mean, us reporters usually did, but the public wasn't told who it was. The person didn't ha appear in the media, didn't make speeches, uh, very clandestine. But in recent years, the Mossad chiefs have been 
made publicly known. And this was his first public speech, Rick. And he he basically said that if Hezbollah attacks, of course, the main Iranian proxy in the region is Hezbollah. If it attacks, the response will be directed at Iran, not at Lebanon. Now, that's quite a statement, and that was backed up by the former Jerusalem mayor near Barkat, who is a leading member of the Likud party, and he said the same thing. If the proxies attack, the IDF will strike Tehran, and it will not be the third Lebanon war, two other wars, of course, with Hezbollah, but the first Iran war. So we can see that they're basically saying, hey, Iran, we've had it. We're not going to allow you to keep pushing your proxies, Hamas, uh, Islamic Jihad, Hezbollah, uh, and other groups in Iraq and other areas to attack our people or our positions and and leave you off the hook for it. We realize you're funding them. And again, um, Barnea mentioned that uh, if the Iranian nuclear deal is uh, approved, is re-entered into, which he said Israel is strongly against and won't have to abide by, but he said, if that happens, we will be as free as ever to strike Iran. It's not going to stop our actions. Mm-hmm. And again, we're not going to take it from your proxy forces. You're going to be the target if it happens. He also revealed that a number of Iranian-linked attacks against Israelis abroad were thwarted. One was in Turkey. That was made public. We didn't hear about the one in Cyprus. He just mentioned Cyprus, Colombia in South America, where we know Hezbollah has training camps. They're recruiting young Spanish-speaking guys uh, to be members of these terror cells, and the evidence suggests that some of them are crossing our southern border and getting into the United States. So, um, you know, that's very significant. Israel will strike Iran if its proxies strike it, whether or not Iran is directly involved. That's basically what they're saying. And frankly, the Israelis are kind of looking for a reason to do that, Rick, not that they're going to provoke Hezbollah to attack northern Israel, but um, they're pretty well convinced that the only way to stop this nuclear program, uh, whether there's a deal or not, they say it will continue. And Barnea pointed out it will release $90 billion a year, uh, $900 billion a year, I'm sorry, uh, to the Iranians. And that they'll just create more mischief, and we're not just going to sit and wait to to uh, see them try to carry out their vow. Again, they don't threaten, they vow that Israel will one day be destroyed, Tel Aviv and Haifa will be no more, etc. So, uh, you know, they have to take this very seriously, a tiny country uh, the size of uh, New Jersey uh, under great threat. Well, they certainly do need to be alert, David. Well, we thank you for keeping us alert, and we look forward to talking to you again soon as we talk about these current events that seem to be setting the stage for Bible prophecy. It is the end times. I'm glad to do it, Rick. You know, Rick, uh, every week I love listening to David Dolan. First of all, he's got that journalist speak uh, from many years of working. His knowledge of the Mideast is unbelievable. He's written several books on it. Uh, We first started working together, David and I, back in 1984. Uh, What a great uh, friend he has been to the ministry. And he's got this understanding, and we focus on the Jewish people, and it helps people to understand what's taking place. We keep our eyes on the Jewish people because God has made promises to the Jews. He's going to fulfill those promises, and that's really uh, helps us to understand 
where we are as we understand Bible prophecy. You've got to realize that God has a, a place for the Jews in the future. And when you look at that seven-year period of time, it's designed to get the Jewish people to understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Well, we have a, a friend of the ministry, Rick, uh, who has been a friend of ours for years. Yes, we got Dr. Andy Woods with us. He's a great guy, and he's an excellent scholar in the book. Uh, even though he's a, is a big scholar, the book is a very easy read. Well, folks, stick around because you're going to like this. It's about Babylon and the misconceptions, and we agree wholeheartedly with uh, everything in Andy's book. So I'm looking forward to Pastor Andy Woods as he talks about Babylon, the bookends of prophetic history. Dr. Andy Woods joins us today. He's a prophecy teacher and pastor at Sugarland Bible Church in Texas. Dr. Woods, thank you for joining us. Well, it's a joy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'd like to talk to you today specifically, and maybe hopefully this will be the first of of future interviews as well, because I know you have several books, but I'd like to talk to you today about your book, Babylon, The Bookends of Prophetic History. And if you could give me a brief summary of that book, why you wrote it, and, and what your conclusions that you draw on it are. Well, I wrote it because I got into this topic when I was doctoral student at Dallas Seminary. I did my um, dissertation against preterism, you know, which is the view that Bible prophecy already happened, specifically the preterist view of Babylon. So when you start researching something, it sort of opens up, you know, a lot of doors of understanding. But the book is basically, it, it takes a real radical view. The view I take is Babylon in the Bible means Babylon. <laughs> so so basically what the book is, is it's a Bible study. It starts you in the book of Genesis. It takes you through the pre-exilic prophets, then the exilic prophets, and then it takes you from there, you know, right into the book of Revelation. And it basically demonstrates that there's a future role for Babylon in the end times. Um, it goes through the different theories that people use to say Babylon doesn't mean Babylon on the Euphrates. From there, it gets into current events, um, why the world is moving in a direction of a rebuilt city of Babylon on the Euphrates, and then it ends with the gospel. So it's something, it's under 100 pages. I didn't write it for, you know, eggheads types. <laughs> I, I, I wrote it for just average people that are on the fence and want to know what God says about the issue. Well, I appreciate that because I certainly am one of those average people. And my father, who you were contemporary with, you were at several conferences with him. He said the same thing. He did, we didn't write book for eggheads. We were average people. We wrote books that we could understand and that we could share. Um, not to say that there's anything wrong with the overly scholarly approach to writing, but sometimes it's easier for us to get something in a more digestible format. Well, I do tend to agree with your assertion that when the Bible says Babylon, it means Babylon, and that's very interesting. But let's start from the beginning. Now, you call this the bookends of prophetic history. So uh, let's look at the origins of Babylon and where Babylon it's introduced to us in Scripture. Yeah, you know, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, says something very interesting. He says, what has been will be again. Hmm. And so history is sort of cyclical. And hmm. so uh, where everything started is where everything's going to end up. So there was a man named Nimrod. He's mentioned in the Bible in Genesis 10, 8 through 10, and he was building a one world system which is a one-world system of economics, politics, and religion that excluded the true knowledge of God. And he was building that city and system in a place called Shinar, 
the Greeks called it Mesopotamia, which means between the rivers, uh, between the Euphrates and the Tigris. That's where Babylon got its start. And God didn't like what was happening. He thought if this project goes forward, then the potential for evil in the human race is unlimited. And so God stopped it dead in its tracks there in the famous Tower of Babel story where God confounded the language and the builders couldn't cooperate with each other. So my contention is Satan has always wanted this system and city back, and he's worked in history you know, to try to get it to come back, and he's going to finally get his uh, agenda accomplished in the tribulation period. And yet, once again, God is going to put an end to it, and at this time he'll do it through the uh, seventh bowl judgment. Now, when you say Babylon means Babylon, what do you mean by that? Because there is no city of Babylon currently. Right. Well, when you look at the word Babylon in the Bible, you know, it's used 300 times. And every single time it's used, um, it always refers to that city, literal city of Babylon between the Euphrates and the Tigris. And so if I'm understanding my Bible correctly, that city is destined to come back to life and play really a strategic role in the end times. So, you know, to the contention that, well, come on, you know, what we see going on over there today pales in comparison to what the Bible says for the end times. I would just simply say this, you know, people once said that about the nation of Israel mm-hmm. and the city of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. You know, that was actually the impetus for replacement theology, that, you know, there's no role for Israel in the end times because uh, all of God's promises have been allegorically transferred to the church, and people would say, look, in the Middle East, there is no Israel. Well, they can't say that anymore. Post-1948, Israel not only exists, but she's a thriving Mm -hmm. country. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, on that same line of thinking, there's no reason to replace the name Babylon with some other name, uh, because what has happened to Israel and Jerusalem is on the precipice, I believe, of happening again concerning the city of Babylon. Well, and when I asked you that question, it wasn't just so our listeners are aware, I'm asking you somewhat rhetorical questions because I strongly believe the way that you do, Dr. Woods, as well. But just to give you an opportunity to explain yourself, let me play devil's advocate for a second. There are some people say that Babylon really is the city of Rome, and they have a couple of reasons for that. Could you talk about why they might think that and why you disagree with them? Well, you know, one of the main reasons is they believe that Babylon is a code for Rome, and they get that from really second century documents, the Sibylline oracles and the the apocalypse of Baruch and these kinds of things, and they say, well, if that was so common, that would be common in Bible times as well. And so the idea is John was too afraid to say Rome, so he used, you know, Babylon as a code word for Rome. Um, I'm sorry, but I don't see John as afraid of anything. This this is a guy that was, remember, he was boiled to death, and they couldn't kill him, so they didn't boil him to death the way they wanted, so they marooned him. He doesn't seem like a guy that that really wants to back down. And, you know, the vision that he got from Jesus uh, on the island of Patmos, Jesus just said, I'm going to show you things and write it down. So there's no proof that John was using, you know, these literary conventions. And 
you know that those literary convention code theories don't they don't even originate until the second century john is writing in the first century and everybody runs to first peter 5:13 where peter in his end of his first epistle says she who was in babylon greets you and everybody says see peter was in rome and obviously peter is using babylon as a code for rome there but there's no reason to believe that Peter was anywhere other than literal Babylon in 1 Peter 5, uh, 13. After all, he was the apostle to the Jews, the apostle Peter was, and so that's where most of the Jews were. And so Babylon would be a logical place for him to travel to. So, you know, the more I study the Bible, the more I think it means what it says and says Mm -hmm. what it means. And Mm -hmm. if that's true, then there's no reason to treat Revelation 17 and 18 any different. Well, I certainly agree in a literal translation of scriptures. And there is some symbolism in scripture, some apocalyptic literature, but it's typically, as you continue reading, it's uh, it's placed in context. Well, let's go to Revelation 17.5, and it talks about mystery, Babylon the Great. And I think that's one area where people might look at this and say, well, mystery, that means we can't know it, right? Yeah, that is a real tricky thing because people see that word mystery and they think it means mystic or symbolic. And so based on that, they think they have the right to just sort mm-hmm. of change the chapter in anything they want. There's there's a view out there that says, well, that's really New York City, and the, the woman there is the Statue of Liberty. And I'm saying to myself, where are you getting this from? You know, you're on the wrong continent, first of all. <laughs> and the answer is, well, it says Mystery Babylon. And... It's a bit tricky because in some uh, English translations, the word mystery will be capitalized, indicating it's part of the woman's title. But in other English translations, like the New American Standard Bible, the, the word mystery, mysterion in Greek, is not capitalized. And I think the NASB has it right here by not capitalizing the title because the name Babylon the Great is given about five times in the book of Revelation, and never is is she called Mystery Babylon. So her name is Babylon the Great. Now her role in the end times, in terms of how she's going to be destroyed specifically, now that's a mystery. In Koine Greek, the word mystery simply means something undisclosed, now revealed. And so if you didn't have Revelation 17 in your Bible, you wouldn't know exactly how Babylon is going to be destroyed. Apparently God is going to put it into the heart of the beast to turn on the city. And that's a mystery. That's a, that's a new truth. But that's not to be confused with calling her you know, mystical Babylon, mystery Babylon, symbolic Babylon. So I think her name is Babylon the Great. And exactly how she's going to be destroyed in the end times is is the the unknown truth or the mystery. If we have established that Babylon has a role to play in the end times, and it's an actual literal place in where we know what right now is modern-day Iraq, what do you say to those who say, well, there's really not a whole lot there right now? Well, you know, the last um, part of my book, uh, the final chapter, is basically current events. And I I appreciate what you said earlier. We don't start with current events. You know, we start Mm -hmm. with the Bible. You know, my professor, Dr. Charles Dyer, put it this way. You know, it's okay to look at current events. You know, don't ignore current events. 
you know, some ministries just ignore current events, and that's not right either. But you always start with the Bible, and then you try to figure out, do current events fit the Bible? And so after I try to make my case biblically, I get into current events only in the last chapter. And there are things happening in Babylon as we speak that I think are obvious uh, preparations for what the Bible describes concerning Babylon's role in the end times. I list a number of things, but one of the things that stands out you know, is oil. That's where most of the, the world's oil supply is. In fact, oil discoveries were discovered there in the city of Kirkuk, you know, a number of uh, decades back. And if the Antichrist were to come to power in Babylon and annex the surrounding countries, within a nanosecond, he would control 60%, you mm. know, of the world's oil supply. Mm. And think of that power in light of everything that we're experiencing here in the United States with inflation and uh, the current administration, you know, taking us out of energy independence and gas prices. And so, you know, that that would be something that's happening now, which could transform Babylon into a city of worldwide influence, you know, in a nanosecond. And there are other things that I mention in the book. Uh, another thing that comes to mind is the Pope has been having these one world religion gatherings. And it's interesting that when he calls for these gatherings, he doesn't have them in Vatican City. Hmm. <laughs> He's having them in Ur of the Chaldeans, <laughs> you know, hmm. where Abraham, you know, the Babylonian area where Abraham was called from. So, you know, if the Pope is the Antichrist, the way some people say, and Babylon means Rome. Well, the Pope, I guess, never got the memo because uh, <laughs> he's having his big meetings in Babylon. So there's a lot of scenarios in place where what we're talking about here is becoming more and more credible, you know, as the days pass. The book is entitled Babylon, the Bookends of Prophetic History. And I know Babylon will come to preeminence during the tribulation. Could you talk a little bit about that and and explain what the Bible does say the fate of Babylon will be during the tribulation? Yeah, it, it's uh, the key verses would be Revelation 17 and 18, but those are the end of a long parade of biblical clues, you know, splintered throughout the Bible that Babylon is destined to play a role in the end times. A couple of clues even before you get there are Isaiah uh, 13 and 14, Jeremiah 15 and 51, you know, both of which describe the destruction of Babylon in a way that doesn't fit how Babylon fell in the past. You throw into the mix Zechariah 5 verses 5 through 11, where the woman is sort of shoved into a basket and Zechariah wants to know where they're taking her and the, the uh, carriers who look like angels basically explain to him that she's going to be taken to the land of Shinar, you know, that she's going to be let out of the basket. She's going to be taken to the land of Shinar, be let loose in the end times where a pedestal or a temple will be built for her. And so by the time you get to Revelation 17 and 18, if you're a faithful Bible reader, you're saying, well, of course, there's a role for Babylon in the end times. And so that those chapters are a description of her rise and how she's going to be destroyed. That's the mystery. And essentially what's going to happen is God 
is going to put his purpose into the Antichrist to turn on Babylon. Now, we're not exactly told why the Antichrist will turn on Babylon, other than God putting his purpose into the beast's heart, but it could have something to do with the motive of jealousy. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4 says the Antichrist will desire to be worshipped above all that is called God, and maybe Babylon just gets too powerful, and he becomes jealous. But at any rate, he turns on her and destroys her and burns her with fire. And as that is happening, God is actually using that as part of the seventh bold judgment to destroy that city. And once it falls in bold judgment number seven, she will never be rebuilt again. In fact, uh, the millennial kingdom, according to Revelation 19, 2 and 3, will be sort of a memorial as Babylon will burn throughout that thousand-year time period. And fortunately, she's going to be replaced by a glorious city called the city of Jerusalem, which will be elevated above the other cities in the millennial kingdom, and she will be the source of the you know future rulership of Jesus Christ. So the story of the Bible is really a tale of two cities, so to speak, uh, Babylon her role and her destruction to be replaced by the millennial rule of Jesus Christ in the city of Jerusalem. Well, Dr. Woods, I appreciate it. I'd like to ask you uh, a couple questions that we ask almost every guest that comes on. But before I do, could you just let our listeners know where they could possibly get this book and how they could find out a little bit more about your ministry? Yeah, I've got all my books listed at andywoodsministries.org. And so that's probably the easiest place to go. I'm the pastor of a church. They can find my stuff, um, my verse-by-verse teaching at Sugarland Bible Church, www.slb.org. And I have a YouTube channel. Just type in Andy Woods Ministries into your YouTube search engine. And, uh, you know, since we're facing a lot of uh, censorship and things like that, I also have a Rumble channel. Hmm. Just type uh, Andy Woods Ministries into Rumble. And I also have an app. Uh, Just go to the App Store and type in Andy Woods Ministries, and you can access the app. So there's a lot of different ways, you know, to to keep up with me if people are interested in that. I do encourage our listeners to take advantage of some of these study materials that Dr. Woods has. Well, my last question, and like I said, we ask this of most of our guests, especially our Bible prophecy teachers, could you let us know— The first question, the importance of studying Bible prophecy uh, for a Christian. And the second question, with the knowledge of Bible prophecy, as we look at it and what's taking place, how should it motivate us as Christians to act? Well, to the first part of it, you know, the importance of it, you know, I don't think it matters um, if I think it's important or you think it's important. Mm. The issue issue is God apparently thinks it's important. Mm -hmm. Because, as you know, over a quarter of the Bible is devoted to the subject. So that would be around 27% is the statistics I have on it. And so if you're going to leave out Bible prophecy, you might as well cut you know, a quarter of your Bible or more out. Hmm. And you can't be a, a minister that's interested in God's the full counsel of God's Word. And how should it motivate us? Well, Second Peter 1, 19 Uh, basically calls it a lamp. Um, As the world is in darkness, it's a light 
shining in a dark place that we would do well to pay attention to. And I think Peter there is alluding back to Psalm 119, you know, verses, verse 105, you know, thy word is a, a light unto my path, lamp unto my feet. May have got that backwards there. Lamp unto my feet, light unto my path. There we go. And Peter specifically says um, that, you know, prophecy is a light shining in a dark place that we would do well to pay attention to. And so if you don't have a knowledge, in, particularly in these uh, very bizarre times that we're in right now, mm-hmm. where everything seems to be going haywire, uh, the only thing that keeps me sane in this dark environment is God's Word, particularly prophecy, that history is moving somewhere, God is in control, and He's bringing things to His orchestrated conclusion. And if people are just listening to, you know, watching cable TV or listening to talk radio, but they don't have the mind of God on these topics, which is only available through prophecy, then they're just in a place of despair. Mm. And so that's how, that's a practical way I think prophecy helps us. I agree 100%. Excellent words of advice and wisdom from Dr. Andy Woods. Well, we appreciate you being on the program this week, and we look forward to having you on again in the future. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'd love to come back. was a big fan of your dad's, and thanks for having me. Rick, you know, it reminds me back when we did the video, uh, Rome Rising, and as we did that video, I remember dad standing at the Vatican saying, I don't know who's buried in that tomb, but it's not Peter. <laughs> do you remember that? I do. I certainly do. I won't forget that one. <laughs> Pastor Andy Woods agreed with it, confirmed it. As a matter of fact, we have two videos, Rome Rising, that coincides with everything that Andy was saying, and then also is the United States in Bible prophecy. Good stuff, Rick. I really appreciate it. As a matter of fact, after the break, we're going to come back, and we've got a special offer for our folks that are listening to the program this week. We've got to take a break, and when we come back, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Folks, we just had a great interview. You need to go to our website. And if uh, if you listen to it, uh, you could listen to it again there and get an understanding of how Babylon, literal Babylon, has never been destroyed and it will be destroyed in the future. As a matter of fact, Revelation 19, I think, is one of the most unbelievable chapters in the Bible. It's about heaven and what's going on in heaven after the destruction of literal Babylon in Revelation 18. Rick, what about that offer we were talking about? Well, that's right. We have two DVDs, two teaching DVDs that talk about the subject that we were talking with Dr. Woods about. Um, It's uh, videos that you and I helped produce with our father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. One of them is called Is the USA in Bible Prophecy? And the other one is called Rome Rising. Shot on location, as all of our videos were shot on location. We'll make those half price. Go to our website, go to the bookstore, look at our DVDs. You've got Rome Rising. And is the USA in Bible prophecy? Great stuff, Rick. Thanks so much. Prophecytoday.com. Well, today we're going to continue our legacy series and we're going to continue our study on heaven as we take a look at what heaven is like today. 
The Bible gives us a window into the third heaven found there in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Before we look into the third heaven, however, we want to remind you what is going on in the first and second heaven at the time of the angelic war that takes place there in the first and second heaven at the midway point of the tribulation period. Please take your Bible. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12 with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung in our legacy series on heaven. Look what happens in the heavens, verse 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Verse 13 indicates he's going to intensify his persecution and destruction, and ultimately hoping for the annihilation of the Jewish people. Verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Now that's another apocalyptic term. Early on in chapter 12, it defines that woman who brought forth the man-child as Israel because it was a Jewish woman who did bring forth the man-child, Jesus Christ. And as you continue to read here in chapter 12, you see how the devil and his evil angels are going to do everything possible to destroy the Jewish people. Verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. These evil angels led by Satan know that indeed, if they can wipe out the Jewish people, then God is incapable of keeping his promises. The Abrahamic covenant, there'll be a nation forever. That's Genesis chapter 15, Deuteronomy 30, the land covenant, they'll have a piece of real estate 10 times what they have today, and that will be forever. And the fact is the Davidic covenant, the establishment of a kingdom on the earth with Jesus Christ building a temple in the city of Jerusalem, where he will rule and reign for a thousand year period of time. And into eternity future. That covenant will not be kept. Now, these are all to the Jewish people. The the Abrahamic covenant, the land covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31 introduces the new covenant, and it says that new covenant is given to Israel and Judah. Christians are not a part of the new covenant with the exception that we derive benefits from it. The new covenant is given to the Jewish people. You need to make certain of that. We don't take promises given to the Jews and appropriate them for ourselves. But the fact is then Satan is going to be cast out of the heavenlies because he and his evil angels are going to try to do everything they possibly can to destroy the Jews so God fails and Satan comes to power and the leader. And that was his motive. That's what he had to say in Isaiah chapter 14. Go back to Revelation chapters 4 and 5 just a moment and let me show you the best description of heaven that we have today. There's not a lot that we know about it. I'm not sure that some of the books that have been written out there have all the information correctly. I want you to hold them accountable to the word of God as well. Speculation is not our responsibility and we should not be doing it. Spiritualizing scripture is a very dangerous thing. There's a technical interpretation to all of scripture, a spiritual application, but, and we can appropriate truths for ourselves, but we cannot spiritualize the scriptures. I do not like to hear a man teaching the 
word of God who spiritualizes the scripture. It becomes very subjective when you start to spiritualize the scripture. In other words, taking something and telling you what he thinks it means. Well, that's subject to what he has studied, uh, whoever may be influencing him. What does the word say? God gave us a word that we are to study has a absolute detailed interpretation for it. We need to look at that. So having said that, let's look and see in these two chapters, chapters four and five of the book of Revelation, what we can find out about heaven. Remember in chapter four, verse one, Jesus shouts, Archangel shouts, trumpet God sounds. What does he shout? Maybe what is here in chapter four, verse one, come up hither. And John, the revelator leaves the Isle of Patmos, I believe, as was that one that Paul knew 14 years before, and they will go into the heavenlies. John, I believe, goes into the heavenlies with a physical body. I think he's taken there in order to be able to see all that's going to unfold. In chapter one, 4, verse 1, the rapture, chapter 4, verse 2, he is in the heavenlies. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now, this one sitting on the throne is not Jesus Christ. This is God the Father who is seated on the throne. Look at chapter 5, verse 1, just for a second. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. That's God the Father because Jesus Christ the Son is going to be counted worthy All will say and proclaim at this time in heaven that Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, should be the one that could open the sealed book. That sealed book in chapter 5 is the title deed to the earth. Remember, the kingdom is going to be given to Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, the Ancient of Days, God the Father, will give the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the kingdom his dominion forever and ever and ever. So God the Father is seated on the throne. Jesus Christ at his right hand. And of course, that's what Hebrews confirms as well. Chapters 1, 8, 10, and 12, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now. Look back here in uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 6, and see what else that we can see. There's so much in here, but I'm just trying to give you the highlights of what is in the third heaven. Verse 6, and before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. In the midst of the throne and round about the throne, there were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like unto a lion. The second beast like unto a calf. The third beast had a face of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. I refer to these creatures here now as the throne room angels. There are seraphim that are described and talked about in Isaiah chapter 6. That is one category of angelic creatures. When you come to Ezekiel chapter 1, it talks about the cherubim. And that's another category of 
angelic creatures. I believe, along with the archangels being maybe a third category, and then we come to the throne room angels. If you'll study Isaiah 6, the seraphim, Ezekiel 1, the cherubim, you'll notice they have similar characteristics, similar descriptions, but they are not all alike. They are totally different in each and every one of them. Notice what it says here, and I believe that what is depicted in these four creatures would be the aspects of the life of Jesus Christ as told to us in the Gospels. Look here in verse 7. The first beast was like unto a lion. The book of Matthew describes Jesus Christ as the lion of Judah. And then the second beast like a calf. Or as it's talking about the cherubim in Ezekiel chapter 1, the face of an ox, which is giving indication of a servant. And the book of Mark presents Jesus Christ as the servant. And then it said he had a face of a man. Dr. Luke in the book of Luke talks about Jesus Christ and his manhood. Chapter 2, verse 52. And Jesus Christ developed physically, mentally, socially, and spiritually. Uh, Talking about the God-man. And then the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And that would represent, of course, deity. And that's how Jesus Christ is presented in the Gospel of John. Now notice what they're doing. Verse 8. And the four beasts each of them had six wings about him and they were full of eyes within and they rest not day or night saying holy 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 lord god almighty which was and is and is to come and so they are continually involved in praising god and singing holy 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 we come now then to verse 10 and notice what it says here and there are four and 20 elders that are involved back over in verse 4 it talks about that as well look back in verse 4 and round about the throne were four and 20 seats and upon the seats I saw four and 20 elders sitting clothed in white raiment and they had on their heads crowns of gold now, many have questioned what this might be talking about. Is that the uh, 12 apostles and the 12 tribes, uh, the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel, etc.? I would s- tell you that I believe this is the church that is represented, seated there on those small seats or very small thrones around the main throne where God is seated. And here's why I make that statement. The, number one, the number 24 is a number of representation. In other words, it represents certain things. The numbers in the scriptures, three represents the Trinity. Seven represents completeness. And so we see these numbers that represent something. Back in First Chronicles chapter 24, it talks about the priests divided into 24 segments. Uh, these 28,000 priests that would serve at the temple. I believe this is referring to the church seated around the throne. And notice why I make that statement. Again in verse 4, they were clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. We're going to see in verse 10, they're going to cast these crowns at Jesus' feet. Angels, apostles, and are the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel do not receive crowns of gold. We receive crowns at the judgment seat of Christ. At the rapture of the church, the judgment seat of Christ takes place. And for those works that we did in his power for his glory, we receive crowns. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27 says, we receive a crown incorruptible. 
an incorruptible crown. Why? For bringing our body under subjection, making our body do what God wants us to do with that body. Secondly, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19, we receive a crown of rejoicing. And that's for being a soul winner. The Apostle Paul says to the people of Thessaloniki, what, are you not my crown of rejoicing? And three weeks earlier, he had been there and led all of them to the Lord. And then when you come to James chapter 1 and verse 12, we receive a crown of life. Why? For yielding not to temptation. Temptation is not sin. Yielding to it is. And if we yield not, we receive a crown of life. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, we receive a crown of glory. Why? For helping the body of Christ grow. For mentoring people, for praying for people, for interacting with them, helping them grow in the Lord. We receive a crown of glory. And the final crown of the five crowns is a crown of righteousness. The Apostle Paul in Swan Song, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he makes the statement, I ran a race, I fought to fight, I kept the faith. And then verse 8, and laid up for me as a crown of righteousness, but not for me only, for all who love the appearing of Jesus Christ, eagerly loving and wanting the rapture to take place. That's a crown of righteousness. Now look at verse 10. In the heavenlies, what do we do with these crowns we received at the judgment seat of Christ? And the four and twenty elders representing the church fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. What a day that will be. A day when we cast our crowns at the feet of Jesus in thanksgiving for what he has done for us. Jesus deserves all the honor and the glory. Next week, we'll continue our study on heaven today and heaven tomorrow. Remember, heaven tomorrow will be heaven on earth. More on that next week. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Fighting continues in Myanmar between the military junta and local resistance groups. The military's lost about 90 bases since a February coup last year. Galen Burkholder with Global Disciples says the military response has gotten softer in some areas because they're running short on money. The Global Disciples team has been able to move around the country cautiously. Ask God to bring peace to Myanmar and strengthen local churches. And last month, we heard about a new collective movement underway among Bible translators in Southeast Asia. Today, we'll take a closer look at how collaboration works on the mission field. Some churches want God's Word in story form for oral learners. Others want evangelistic tools in their language, like the Jesus film or scripture-based songs. The Bible translation movement is bigger than linguistics alone. There's a place for whatever talents God has given you. Read the full story at missionnews.org to learn more. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. 
Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, A Chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with Rick, we've been looking at current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And I like what uh, what you said with Pastor Woods, Rick. Uh, we don't really look at current events to determine our Bible, but we look at our Bible and then that helps us to understand current events, correct? That's correct. He called it a newspaper reading of the Bible. And we don't want to look at the newspaper first and then try to make the Bible conform to the newspaper. But we do look at the newspaper second, and we realize that, hey, things are taking place here that are really confirming what's going on in the Scriptures. They sure are. And I always tell people when I speak at conferences, if you want to understand why the world is acting as it is, you need to read God's Word. If you know it, God put it there for us. It's not just for myself or you, Rick, or Dr. Woods. It's for everyone to be able to understand it, and it's just a matter of studying God's Word. I'd like to continue on, Jimmy, and talk about a few more things, a few more subjects that Dr. Woods brought up. And one of the things that he said, basically right off the bat, is his crazy kind of controversial take that when the Bible says something (laughs) like it's Babylon, it means Babylon. And we call that a literal interpretation of the Scriptures. I'm wondering, this is a tenet, this is a basic that we believe, and it's how we interpret Scriptures. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and why it's so important? You know, it is important. As a matter of fact, when it talks about Israel, and that was what Dr. Woods talked about when he talked about Israel, you know, in history, when Israel was no more after 70 AD and the Jews were scattered to the four corners of the earth, that was what God told them would happen if they didn't obey him. Uh, That took place. And so through the period of time, when you have a gentleman by Martin Luther that comes along in the Reformation, we've talked about Martin Luther did some great things. He really did. But the one thing that he got wrong was that when it was talking about Israel, he said, there's no more Israel. And now when it says Israel, that means the church. Well, that's replacement theology. And when God made promises and he invokes his holy name, Ha'olam, eternally, when he makes a promise to the Jewish people that the borders of their land, 35 different passages, that a descendant of King David would be ruling in the city of Jerusalem forever, the, the, the new covenant, all those things. When God makes a promise to the Jewish people, he's going to keep it. And I think, Rick, that is so important that when it talks about something, and that's what uh, we taught in our school of prophets. That's what we teach to pastors and lay people. When it talks about Babylon, when you read the book of Daniel, literal Babylon. The city was never destroyed. You can go through history from the destruction, uh, the downfall of the Babylonian empire when the Medes and the Persians came in in Daniel chapter 5. But as you go through history, we see many times that 
Babylon the city was still there, and it was there when Peter talked about it and when John talked about it. So I, I like what Dr. Wood said. Yeah, John was never afraid of anybody, and Peter was never afraid of anybody. <laughs> so uh, when he said it, he meant Babylon. He sure did. Well, a couple other things that he talked about that I thought were very interesting. The last question I asked him is, why study Bible prophecy? And he said, and this is for those who, who might think we place too much emphasis on Bible prophecy. You know what? He said it's not important what he thinks about how much we should study Bible prophecy. And really, Jimmy, it's not important what you and I think about how much the student of the Bible studies Bible prophecy. It's what God says, and God put it in his word. You've already talked about it, uh, you know, a quarter to a third of Scripture. So uh, it needs to occupy that time. And so obviously it's there because God put it in place for us to understand. And then the other thing that he talked about, Jimmy, is that the Bible prophecy shows that God had a plan. And he started, even at the Tower of Babel, was Satan's attempt to try to thwart that plan. And we see that throughout Scripture, and we see the culmination of that in the end times and in in the future in Bible prophecy, don't we? We sure do. You know, Satan is the author of confusion and deception. Deception started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. But, uh, you know, Rick, I was teaching this last week at a conference, and I talked about Revelation 19. The four times, when you look at Revelation 19, it talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Four times in Scripture, it uses uh, the word alleluia. And those four times are mentioned in Revelation 19. And it says with a great roar, this is what's going on in heaven. And it says, after these things, what things? That's Revelation chapter 18, Rick. That's the destruction of Babylon. That very uh, bookend of history, really, his story, God's story. In heaven, all of heaven sees this. They shout with a great roar. I mean, can you imagine Billions mm. of people there shouting and mm. saying, Alleluia, praise to God. He's all powerful. It's coming about that the marriage supper of the Lamb and the beginning of the millennial kingdom is getting ready to take place after Jesus Christ comes from the heavenlies with you and I uh, coming back to the earth, touching down on the Mount of Olives, uh, building his temple, then going to the Jezreel Valley to fight the battle of Armageddon collecting the Jews from the wilderness, which I believe is Petra, you believe that, bringing them from the way of the east, as it talks about in Zechariah chapter 14, to the city of Jerusalem. On the holiest day of the year, the day of atonement, he walks into the throne right there in the city of Jerusalem, sits on his throne, and this begins the millennial period, the Feast of Tabernacles, described the marriage supper of the Lamb, the celebration of Jesus Christ receiving his earthly kingdom. Rick, that's amazing when you think about it. And that's what Bible prophecy does. It gets us so excited about these things that are going to take place in the future. Well, Jimmy, it's so great to hear you recite that. And we look at it, it's just this world is so crazy right now, so topsy-turvy. And as Dr. Wood said it earlier in the interview, it's it's Bible prophecy is what helps us keep our sanity. You laid out what's going to happen after the rapture of the church. You laid out what was going to happen during the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's what we have to look forward to because God put it there in his scripture. Frankly, when Dr. Wood said, hey, the only thing that keeps me like calm in this period is just <laughs> what you said. It's because we know what's going to happen. 
And that is so very important. Rick, you did a phenomenal job on the interview with Andy Wood, uh, Pastor Andy Wood. Uh, everybody else today, great job in our program. I look forward to being in Israel with you next week. And uh, we have some exciting things planned during the time period of Rosh Hashanah together. Uh, we'll talk about the, the events that are unfolding there in the city of Jerusalem, really in the state of Israel, as we're there. Thanks, Rick. I look forward to uh, being with you next week. And uh, folks, please, as we study God's word, understand that the rapture could happen at any moment. Get excited about that. Use it to help you to be pure and productive in living a holy life in an unholy world. With all that's happening in this topsy-turvy world, as Rick says, we need to keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.